Isaiah 53. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord have laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He's brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, he had put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul into death. And as he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Let us now give our attention to Brother Joe. It was in the beginning that God created the heavens and the earth. The planet was without form and void before his spirit moved over the face of the waters. His hand created light to dispel the darkness and placed the firmament in the midst of the waters that he called seas and populated both with plants and creatures great and small. He energized the sun and stars and set them in the heavens. Finally, he fashioned man in the likeness of his own image from the dust of the earth. And then he infused the breath of life into that motionless form. The man stood and he observed all that God had made. But he was alone, the only one of his kind. So God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, took one of his ribs and fashioned woman, whom he brought to Adam, who now had a companion to share in his endeavors. And thus was initiated the landscape of the Bible, a chronicle of creation and the plan of God with the earth 
that he had created. God gave Adam and Eve one simple ordinance to observe. Do not eat, he said, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree to be desired to make one wise. So she took of the fruit and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. And thus sin, the disobedience of deity's command was conceived and was born. And the penalty of death was implanted in man's physical nature and the course of human nature, human history, was forever altered. Now it was in response to this chain of events that deity decreed that the plan of salvation for his creation would now depend upon a complete victory over the evils which sin had subjected man to. The execution of this plan must therefore entail suffering under trial. Now, none of the mere sons of Adam could meet the requirements without falling helpless under the load. And therefore, God in his love laid help upon one born of the fallen race who, by his great faithfulness, would be able to endure the trials and thereby be made perfect through suffering and become the captain of our salvation. Now, going back in the origin of the evils which salvation is designed to eliminate, there was temptation, there was sin, and there was death. In the removal of the evils, there must be temptation, righteousness, and life. The first Adam, when he was tempted, was drawn away of his own lust. His lust conceived sin, and sin brought death. But the second Adam would refuse to allow lust to draw him away or to conceive sin. Therefore, sin on his part did not bring forth death. Hence, though he suffered death because sin had brought it upon the entire race, of which he was a member, he could not be holden of death, and therefore he would triumph over sin, and thereby destroy him that hath the power of death, that is the devil. This second Adam was the Son of God, Emmanuel. He would from the time of Eden be foreshadowed in numerous types, designed by God to keep him, the future Messiah, always in front of their eyes, and also those same types to keep him in the eyes and the hearts of those who would look for his second appearance, which we hope is imminent. Thus the Bible comes to us as a landscape colored with Christ. He is prophesied in the Old Testament as the Messiah. We have a picture of his life drawn for us in the New Testament. We await his imminent return. Yet we probably do not cogitate, ruminate, as it were, in depth on his life as often as we should. 
This thinking process, keeping him in the forefront of our memory, is an integral part of our obedience to the command to remember him until he comes. This man would be the son of man and the son of God. He would live in a house of flesh. He would feel the temptation, the pain, the exhaustion that we feel. But yet he would, through a life of perfect obedience, combined with the sacrificial shedding of his blood, condemn sin in the flesh as it has existed since Adam. To achieve this purpose, God's Spirit would move upon the Virgin Mary, who would be privileged to be the one to be the mother of the Messiah. Can we imagine the feeling in her heart as she considered this great responsibility? So it was that the only and greatly beloved Son of God, Jesus the Christ, came into being the man who would manifest in a house of flesh the spiritual quality of the eternal Yahweh. Let's turn to the first chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. We will take excerpts throughout the Gospels in regard to the birth of Jesus and to this great event that was occurring. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. We'll go to Luke, the first chapter. And starting at the 26th verse. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. 
Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not? Amen. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Spirit shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. So a new life was brought to the womb of Mary, but it began like none other in the history of mankind. The new beginning was triggered when the Spirit overshadowed Mary and fulfilled the role, natural role of a father. The spark of life was generated and so began the wonderful story of Jesus of Nazareth. Now Jesus' physical nature was equivalent to his mother, Mary's. In the genes of her body, King David, Ruth, Rahab, Tamar, and Judas, Abraham, all the way back to Adam, were all included in her physical makeup. And as we think of that, we think of all these stories that we have in that landscape of the Old Testament that bring us to this point of the Messiah coming forth. But also Jesus inherited the mental facilities of, of some advantage from his paternal side, his father, the great Yahweh. Now, I'm sure Mary pondered these things in her heart over the years, for can any of us imagine having that kind of a feeling of responsibility put upon us? Wouldn't we all say, am I really worthy of this? Why me? I'm not worthy of this. Am I going to be up to this task? The events that enveloped Mary and Joseph were indeed of very, very extreme character. For they would initiate the pendulum swing that would now start to provide the solution to that disobedience in the Garden of Eden in partaking of the forbidden fruit. In the second chapter of Luke, starting in the first verse, we have the story of the birth of this Son of God, Jesus the Christ. Luke 2 and 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. 
And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, good will to men. Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, was born unnoticed by the crowd. But the ruler of the land, Herod, who was paranoid over the prophecies of this future ruler of the Jews, diligently inquired of the wise men trying to determine when this Messiah had been born. And then he attempted to eradicate him with an order to slay every child under two in Bethlehem and the surrounding coast. But as it always is with the things of God, soon after Jesus' birth, Joseph and Mary were warned of God to flee to Egypt to safeguard the Son of God from the vicious wrath of the wicked Herod. It makes the words, out of Egypt have I called my son, ring in our ears. On Herod's death and the family's return to Israel, a veil drops down and conceals the boy's life from our eyes. But there is one incident that occurs that gives us a clue to his development. In the middle of his childhood, the veil is lifted for just a short instance and gives us a peek into how his development was proceeding. We have one fleeting glimpse of the formulative powers that were at work in the young man's life. Now at 12 years of age, he is found in the temple listening to the doctors and asking them questions. And he is so involved in this endeavor that he, using a modern phrase, sort of misses the bus and neglects to go to his parents to return home with them on the trip to their home. It is recorded that these doctors of the law were absolutely amazed at his answers and his understanding. We all know that human development occurs over time in stages. So this incident should give us some appreciation that Jesus had been steadily growing day in and day out with the blessing of God's Spirit from the time that his reasoning powers came into being. Now can we imagine the panic that struck Joseph and Mary as they realized that the treasure that God has entrusted to their care is missing? What thoughts would run through one of your, through your minds if one of your children all of a sudden was missing? We've all probably had that experience to one degree or another. But upon mildly scolding Jesus for causing them such concern, he looks at them and simply answers, Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? That is a serious clue as to how far he had already, at the age of 12, developed his sense of purpose about his life. Now, once again, the veil after this incident drops down. And little is revealed to us until that day that he approaches his cousin John on the Jordan's bank. This is the point at his baptism 
where the work of the future ruler of the earth begins in earnest. As Mary's beloved son rises from the Jordan, the spirit overshadows him and descends in a dove like a in dove-like form upon him. The words thunder from the heavens, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus was now led into the wilderness to be tempted or to be tried. In these 40 days of trial and temptation, the platform would be established for Emmanuel's work on the earth. The churches of the world convert Jesus into God himself. Many have made the mistake sometimes in an honest attempt to honor Jesus to reduce the role of sin's flesh in his life. However, by making more of Jesus' nature than it really was, they steal from him the honor of the great things that he accomplished. The scripture says he was tempted in all points like unto us. Brother Roberts said at one point, in his temptation in the desert, it makes no real difference as to whether an external tempter presented the thought or whether the inherent desires of the flesh initiated the matter. The desire of things forbidden was stirred up in any case, and the Lord rose to the occasion by achieving victory over every single desire his flesh, fleshly nature would have liked to succumb to, would have liked to succumb to. Now, that completed, the wilderness test is behind him. Jesus now moves to a new stage where he is constantly before the people day and night, urgently proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God. Never man spake as this man. His works are unheard of. He heals the sick. He makes the deaf to hear. The lame walk. The blind see. He brings the dead to life. He is exhausted from the constant turmoil of the crowds who bring multitudes of the sick and maimed and impaired to him to be healed. He feeds thousands with a few loaves and fishes. Just an interesting insight. He would not use that power in the wilderness to create bread for himself. But in that spirit of dedication which he would continually show, he only used the Spirit of God to help others, to feed others both spiritually and physically. To a people starved for a beneficent leader, he demonstrates the undeniable power of God. The people love him. They follow him everywhere. He has few moments of peace. He oftentimes tried desperately to escape just for a little time, to think, to meditate, to pray. They force him to launch a boat so that he can address a large crowd at the sea's edge. But while all these things are occurring, the leaders of the land are becoming paranoid also, the Jews themselves. Who is this person that is stealing all this attention? all this love from the people. So there is a sinister force lurking in the shadows. Some of the nation's leaders are envious of this man. Others are afraid he may usurp their power. 
So they make their decision. They start laying the groundwork for their effort to bring the work of Jesus to naught. They will get rid of him. They attempt to take him at one point, but his time has not yet come, and he eludes their grasp. But as with all things, the things that we fear cannot always be held at bay forever. The depth of Jesus' agony is revealed as he pleads to his father and endures the pain caused by his friends who just cannot grasp what is happening in their presence. Jesus had these disciples whom he loved deeply, and it must have been a very difficult thing for him to to deal with from the human frame of reference, that they just did not seem to have any appreciation for what he had to go through. They just could not seem to accept the fact that anything was going to happen to him. In Matthew, the 26th chapter, starting in the 36th verse, Matthew 26 and 36. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry here and watch with me. Watch with me. And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And as he returns, and he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, What, could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So now he goes away the second time. And he prays, saying, O my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. Here we are experiencing the agony that Jesus was going through. The suffering, the human suffering that he was experiencing. And he comes back in the 43rd verse, and he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he goes in the 44th verse, and he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. And while he yet spake, lo, Jesus, one, Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and the elders of the people. They needed swords and staves to take a man that had never even given a hint of resistance to any evil force. He was now within their grasp. He was betrayed by one of his own. He was summoned before the courts of the land, and the serpentine plot further unfolds in that same chapter of Matthew, jumping forward to the 62nd verse. 
where the evil leaders of the Jews abuse the Son of God, the only perfect man who had ever lived on the face of the earth. And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? Remember our chapter in Isaiah? He would be silent. Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witnesses, which these witness against thee? But Jesus held his peace, and the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He hath spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witness? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. What think ye? And they answered and said, He is guilty of death. Then they did spit in his face and buffeted him, and others smote him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy unto us, thou Christ, who is he that smote thee? A man who had never done anything wrong being subjected to this kind of treatment. In the 27th chapter of Matthew, the 11th and the 12th verses, And Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. And going to the 27th to the 35th verses, the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers, where they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and all mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. Can we imagine for any of us going through this kind of vicious treatment? And after they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, and him they compelled to bear his cross. They set up a sign over his head with his accusation. This is Jesus, King of the Jews. They drive the nails through his hands and feet. We can imagine the pain associated with such an event. And then for nine long hours, the siege goes on. His body hangs on the nails. Slowly the life force of the blood of ebbs from his wounds. Matthew 27, in the 45th and the 46th verses. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In the fiftieth verse, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the spirit. And behold, 
The veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake and the rocks rent. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went unto the holy city, and appeared unto many. But to the disciples this is now, they are destitute. Their master is gone. All the hopes, all the promises that they had so firmly believed in, the restoration of the kingdom to Israel, they were dashed upon the rocks of the wicked designs of the rulers of Israel. But the mighty of Israel were not to win. The scripture says, Blessed are the poor and the meek, for they were yet to see the victory snatched from the grasp of the grave. In Matthew 28, The second verse, and behold, there was a great earthquake for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. We all are familiar with the events that took place immediately after Jesus' resurrection. And the, that we come together this morning at this particular point to keep him in memory. To remember all the things he suffered. To remember that he is the one who has given us the opportunity to be able to take advantage of the promise of eternal life. The words that he spoke... Are the, the words that are spoke, written in 1 Corinthians 11 and 24, where the apostle repeats his words. He says, or repeats the record, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Let us remember well those words and have them burned into our mind, for we'll hear them again many times. But we were thinking of the hymn 77 that we sang yesterday. The words in the first and the last standards. O Lord of heaven and earth and sea, to thee all praise and glory be. How shall we show our love to thee, who givest all? Thou didst not spare thine only Son, but gavest him for a world undone. And freely with that blessed one, thou givest all. As the words are recorded in Revelation 22 and 20, He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace 
of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.